Uh, this morning we're continuing in our series, uh, Jesus Stories from the Bible. Um, it's not that we ran out of stories in Mark, but I was talking to Jeff and I, I felt really inspired by something. And, and, you know, Mark didn't do his homework assignment right, but Luke did. So I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going we're to go from Luke today, but it's still a Jesus story. We're still continuing in our series and we're going to take, uh, we're going to look at three stories really quickly because today I, I have a passion and I felt very convicted in these last two weeks about the ones, but let me, let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll crack on, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you're our King, our Lord and our Savior. And we thank you that despite our failings, you are still God. And you are still in control. Lord, I thank you that you inspire us, you lead us. And I thank you for your word that is still as true today as the day it was inspired. And Lord, as we uh, spend some time now looking through it, may we come out with a greater appreciation for you and a greater, greater appreciation for your heart. And Lord, a greater, deeper relationship with you. So we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, question for you. Who can remember having one of these? That's right. It's a one cent coin. That's right. I dug one out. I don't know. Look, I, if you're under the age of 30, you won't. It's that simple. I barely remember them. In fact, I only remember them because my dad used to pay me pocket money in one cent coins. <laughs> now, hang on. I was, I was six years old, five years old at the time. And we were in Papua New Guinea. In the mission field, so he'd pay me with one cent coins. Now, what <laughs> what happened that we didn't realise that it was in 1991 the Australian government decided one cent coins have no value, and they stripped them. So we came back from furlough in 1993, and I had a jar of one cent coins. <laughs> when I said to my dad, "I can't use these," he's where he said, "Oh well, should have worked harder." <laughs> now this is my dad, who's a Dutch accountant. And the accountant for math in PNG at the time, which could explain a lot about what happened up there. But no, my dad, my dad, I love him. So one cent coins, these are these crazy things. And I think, you know, in the days when we had these coins, everything sort of cost something in 99 cents. A Big Mac was $3.99. Inflation has killed Maccas, that's for sure. Tell you what. And so you would hand over your $2 note, for those of you that are really old, and you would get back one of these beauties and you stick it in your pocket and it would continue on and on and on. And you'd end up with all of these one cent coins. And then, like I said, in 1991, the government decided that these one cent coins had no value to us anymore. That they just weren't worth the effort that went into printing them and the raw materials that it cost to make them. And so they scrapped them and we stopped expecting them. I mean, it's, it's bad enough now with five cent coins. I've got that same problem. I, I, I pay for my latte. It costs four ninety five, And I look at that five cent coin and go, I really don't want you. Because all you're going to do is end up covered in dirt and chewing gum and other things in the center console of my car. Or you're going to end up in the drain of my washing machine. And I'm going to spend two hours digging you out covered in filthy wastewater. And I look at those five cent coins, I just go, really? You keep that. You keep that, Mr. Barista. Judging by your haircut, you need it. (laughs) But they stopped making one cent coins and we stopped expecting them. But it's rubbish because we deserve those one cent coins. 
We were paying for something, we deserved it back. That was the way it is. It had some value, just not a lot of value to us. And we've gotten so rich as a culture and so wealthy as a society that those one cent coins and now even those five cent coins just have no meaning and no value. And they're just, in all honesty, just not worth the effort of what they are. See, there's a, there's a truth in all of that. And that truth is the value of the object will determine the effort that we go to get it. I mean, this, this is a basic principle in life. The, the value of the object will determine the effort we go to get it. And you know, one cent coins and five cent coins, if we're really honest, just have no real value to us. And that's why they're no longer in circulation. And even the five cent coin, only last year there was a, a, a submission table for Parliament to scrap the five cent coin. And they have that conversation whenever they get bored in Parliament, because apparently they have nothing better to do. But I, wanna, I want you to think about the effort, about how the effort we make changes the greater something has value. I want you to imagine, if you will, tomorrow morning, uh, you're traveling from either Yorkies Knob to Cairns or Gordon Vale to Cairns. It's peak hour traffic. Uh, everyone's on the road. You're battling roadworks, tourists, the majority of Cairns workforce, and you spot some money on the side of the road. It's lost money. It's completely yours. It's there for the taking. It's completely okay. Now, it's yours to pick up, but to get it, you can't simply grab it. You've got to, well, you've, you've driven past it, so you've got to pull over into traffic. You've got to hold up traffic. People are going to be leaning on their horns at you and saying lovely, pleasant things. You then have to undo your seatbelt, open your door, negotiate traffic, run back and find that money that's sitting there. Now, the question is, how much money does it take for you to want to do that? How much money... Show of hands real quick. Uh, five cent coin side of the road. Anybody going to have a crack? No. Ten cent coin. Yeah, fair enough. You guys are wealthy. I'll take it. Uh, 20 cent coin. Yep, we got one. Kids, you can buy lollies with 20 cents. Absolutely. Uh, 50 cents. No. Who's chasing the shiny gold dollar? Anybody? Yeah, nah. The smaller $2 coin? Right, we're chasing stuff that floats. I get this now. You people have a lot of money. <laughs> uh, $5 note. Who's pulling over traffic for a $5 note? Anybody? Uh, no uni students in the room. Fair enough. Just me. $10 note. Anybody? Yes, right. We're going to embarrass mum and dad for a tenner. I get it. Uh, $20. We're starting to get real money here. You can actually buy Maccas now. $20. No. We're waiting for a brown one that floats. A 50 on the side of the road. It's just sitting there. Yes, that's right. Now we're getting some hands. I like it. Honesty from people. Uh, I'd say a green one, but I've never seen one in, with my own eyes. A uh, hundred bucks on the side of the road. Who's pulling over? Right, a couple of you to fight traffic. Jeez, you guys are... Good thing you didn't grow up with my dad. Like, I've got to be honest. $2 coin, he's considering it. $5 note, we're there as a family. Scouring for the ones that have blown away in the wind. The value of something, the value of the object determines the effort that we will go to get it. We will make considerable effort to find something that's got value to us. Uh, anyone ever lost a TV remote? 
Like I will turn my house upside down looking for that TV remote. Now, it's always in the same spot, jammed between the cushions. But for some reason on the first pass, I never find it. And so every cushion's turned up and I find, well, a whole lot of five cent coins, I've got to be honest with you, uh, in the back of the, of the couch. But we go for something. If, if you've lost TV remote, you know what I'm talking about. If you've lost one of your children at the shops, I mean, look, they've lived a good life, but... <laughs> no, you go hunting for your kids. I mean, it depends on what day it is, I've got to be honest, uh, as to how quickly you start to look. But, but you will go looking that sinking feeling in your stomach when you realise your child is not where they should be. And then you find him not mentioning names, hiding inside a clothes rack, not answering when his name's called because he really enjoys it. I love him. He's a gift from God. But sometimes, (laughs) but that sinking feeling means we will go scouring and we'll go into a frantic search because our kids have incredible value to us. Incredible value to us. If something has great value, you will make great sacrifice to find it. And if it has little value to you, little sacrifice for your effort is determined by the value of the object. And that's why one cent pieces no longer exist in our currency. Five cent coins are on shaky ground. And who knows what will happen with cash altogether. But the reality is for you and I, ones have no real value to us. And I want to remember this principle as we go through and read through these three stories that we know so very, very well. Famous Jesus stories. And in these stories, we know that the value of the lost object determines the level of sacrifice. See, while ones have little value to you and me, they have incredible value to God. To put into perspective what the Bible says, and we're not going to fully unpack these stories today, but remember, this is what does my head in. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it He created, He made. The Bible says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In Isaiah it says He flung the stars into space and knows each and every one of them by name. God is incredibly wealthy and He has lots of things to think about and remember. But I'm reminded of what the Bible says in Genesis 1. That every single person on earth is created in his image. So not only does he have things to look after, but there's a lot of people that he has to look after as well. And for a God with so much in his purview, you wouldn't think that anything would have much value, any one thing would have much value to God, considering all that he has. You know, we're about we're gonna go in a second and Luke 15 is, is where we're gonna start. Luke chapter 15. From verse 1. And in all of this, and the reason I think I, I, I was so passionately reminded was because uh, 10 years ago, I heard a, a very, very smart man by the name of James El, Jason Ellsmore. Um, he's a pastor at Gateway on the Gold Coast. He preached this sermon, and it's a 10 years old, so I can't even plagiarize it that well. It's been that long. But I remember him talking about the value of the ones. And I remember it because he gave us all a one cent coin. And I haven't lost it in 10 years or spent it. But I haven't lost it in that time because this is so very valuable. The message itself is so very valuable to me. 
Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We're going to start with 1 and 2 because we often flick over these first two verses when we look at these stories. But it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering together to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, we skip these verses, but they give us so much context for everything because Jesus at this time, he's sitting and eating with people. People are coming up, they're asking him questions, they want to know more, they're, they want to be and spend time with him and he has no problems being around them. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, are fairly offended by this. They're annoyed. Jesus, why are you with these people? They are the lowest of the low. They mean nothing. They are <coughs> tax <coughs> collectors. And Jesus either hears their muttering or knows in his spirit what they're thinking. And so he tells these three stories. In verses 3 and 4, we get the story of the lost sheep. Jesus says to them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go and look after, uh, to find the lost sheep until he finds it? See, I've got to be honest with you, to me, I probably wouldn't do that. It doesn't make good management sense. Did Jesus not realise that a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush? To leave a flock of 99 to chase after one sheep, I've got to be honest with you, it doesn't sound like sound management advice to me. Yet here's the thing. I spent some time living in Mariba. And when you live in Mariba, you can't help but become friends with farmers. And there were these two amazing people in our church, and they had goats. Uh, not sheep, but goats. Goats and sheep, very similar, both very stupid. And uh, Tracy had asked me, she said, Jaira, would you like to come out and give us a hand? We'll, uh, we'll have dinner together and do this whole big thing. We need to get all the goats and bring them in from all four paddocks because uh, we need to start shearing them. I'm gone. Yep, sure, no problems. Sounds like a great, exciting plan. I was wrong. So we got together, they had a couple of motorbikes, I was driving this dodgy old ute, it's fantastic, I'm pretty sure the ute was the same one Noah used to pack the ark, and, uh, but a Toyota, still going, who would have thought? Unbreakable. And so I drove this ute and we found these goats and we would bring them all together and bring them into one big mob, and there was one goat that was struggling to keep up, it had a dodgy leg and was struggling. And so Tracy said to me, she said, look Jara, you take the ute, you have one job and that is to get that one goat and bring it back to the, the, the house. And I've gone, okay, one goat. I can do this. I have a ute. And so I went to go get the goat. Now, for some reason, the goat didn't want me to get it, which led to a lot of running around. And I am not built for running around. And so eventually I got this goat and I hugged it tight and I said, no, you're so cute. And it headbutted me. <laughs> Apparently... Personal space was an issue for the goat. And I took the goat, I put the goat in the back of the ute, I got in the front and I drove off and we were driving along and then the goat jumped out of the ute. So now I had to go catch the goat again. And so I caught the goat and I said, right, we're good, put it back in the ute. Now goats aren't light just quietly, they're very heavy. And I put the goat back in the ute, I got back in the front seat, put my seatbelt on and then went to drive, looked in my rear vision mirror and the goat was gone. Again, I've grown up in the city, just quietly. I don't do pet goats real well. (laughs) So for the third time I got out of the car, I went and got the goat, 
And this time, instead of putting the goat in the back of the ute, I put the goat in the front of the cab with me. This way, the goat can't jump out of the back of the ute. I got in, put my seatbelt on, started driving. The goat decided that was a great time to headbutt me again. So, I got out of the car, thought about it for a second and went, I can do this, and put the goat back in the back of the ute thinking maybe this time things will be different. Things were not different. The goat bailed again. I said, stuff ya, you can stay here, I don't care. There's a zoo down the road at Mariba with lions that might escape and you're done for. Uh, Goat didn't take my threat, goat stayed there. I drove back going, that was just the stupidest thing I've ever done. I have a concussion, my pride is bruised and goats smell bad. Uh, I got back and... um, I pulled up, they had gotten all the rest of the goats there and I went to Tracy I'm like, hey Tracy, I'm back. She goes, awesome, where's the goat? I said, the goat decided it didn't want to and I respected the feelings of the goat and I decided the goat could stay. Now, country people don't speak much, but they have looks. And this look conveyed something to me and that was... That she was thinking, Jaira, you are an idiot. <laughs> it's amazing what a look can do. I told her the whole story and she just reinforced that look, particularly when I told her about putting it in the front of the ute. Uh, she said, get back in the car. We went and we spent like an hour looking for this ute. And when we found it, she went up to it and the goat knew her and the goat came to her. I'm like, you suck, goat. And she picked up the goat, put it in the back of the ute and then got the chain with the collar and put it around the goat's neck. And then, to her credit, she didn't say anything. She just looked at me with that same look. See, one goat, for Tracy or for in our story, one sheep has real tangible value. See, one sheep or one goat to a farmer is important. She loaded that goat in the car with love and took that goat back to its family and to the the whole paddock where it was going to be fed and watered and shipped. One sheep has real value. In fact, you learn a lot about the stories of Jesus from farmers. I remember when I was 12, we lived at Mount Garnet, which if you've ever gone past Mount Garnet, don't blink. It's got really expensive petrol and not much else. But we lived at Mount Garnet and, and the house next to us was a bit of a hobby farm and they had, they had pigs on the farm and it was cool. And my job as, as a, a 12 or 13 year old was to go and feed the pigs every morning and hand milk the cows. Oh, that was fun. Um, and I remember one, the, the pigs had piglets and I remember watching as like these 13 piglets are all playing and sort of headbutting each other and jumping on one another and, and biting each other, kind of like kids ministry, really. But they were on top of each other and I'm, I'm laughing because it's such a very cute and very cool thing to see. And then John runs up to me and he goes, what's going on? And I told him, I said, how cute's that? And I watched this, this 70-year-old man, this 70-year-old weathered farmer with a very strong Dutch South African accent and no nonsense and not a bone of humour in his body jump and vault over the fence and he starts digging through and pulling these pigs out. And then he finds the one at the bottom that was completely crushed by the other pigs, and he pulls it out. And I watch this man with love and tenderness try everything he can to bring this piglet back. He keeps it warm to the point of almost giving it the kiss of life. 
Now, unfortunately, the piglet didn't make it. And in his eyes, I saw frustration and I saw sorrow. Because one animal has so much value to a farmer. It has so much value. And here's the thing. One lost sheep, one lost goat, one small piglet has real value. In verses 5 and 6, this story gets even weirder still. It says, when Jesus, and then when he finds it, Jesus says, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Not only does he leave the others to find it, but then he goes and calls his shepherd mates and they have a party over one sheep that couldn't keep up. Because one lost sheep is found, it has more value than I ever thought it would have. And at this point, I think we begin to see that one, the ones have a lot more value to God than perhaps they do to us. But in case we miss the point, Jesus then tells another story in verse 8 and 9. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin." It's the same deal. The one that's lost is so valuable and has so much, no, so much uh, value that an all-out search is called for. And when it's found, she gathers her friends together and her family. And she says, let us rejoice, for I have found the one that was lost to me. And Jesus must have been looking in their eyes and thinks, man, these people are thick and still don't get it. So he tells one more story. Now, you've got to understand something. Any time in the Bible where God says one thing three times, it's very important. It's, it's, it's kind of like when your mum says, Jaira, do you have your hat? Yes. Jaira, do you have your hat? Yes. Jaira, do you have your hat? Yeah. Let me check. When God says something three times, it's important. When God says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, there is intention, there is purpose. He means it. We need to stop and pay attention. And in this time, in this place, he tells two stories. And then he says, but wait, there's more. If we didn't get the sheep, if we don't get the coin, imagine then a dad who's got two sons and loses one of them. How valuable is that lost son to the father? Wouldn't he do everything till he's found? Wouldn't he then, when he is found, throw a party when that lost son is found? We know in this parable, we know the father's heart is broken for his son that has walked away and that is lost. And we know that when the son returns, the father not only throws a party, but runs out to meet him with great joy and gladness in his heart for his son has returned. And Jesus says, this is the point. He says it in both verse 7 and verse 10 of Luke 15. In verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not heed to repent, or who don't need to repent. And in Luke 15, 10, he says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner who repents. 
This isn't about the value of one sheep, the value of one coin. This is about the value of a lost person. They have so much value to God that all of heaven celebrates when they're found. And I do not for a second believe that this is mere hyperbole on Jesus' part. For God is all about the ones. He is all about the individuals. He is all about you and me and you. God is all about the heart of one person. And heaven stops and celebrates and rejoices when one comes back and repents. See, more than anything else in this world, God wants a relationship with us. We are created to be in relationship with him. And because of our rebellion against him, we're separated from God and we have become lost to God. But God valued us and didn't want us to stay lost. So he made incredible sacrifice to bring us back into relationship with himself so that we can be found in him. Remember, the value of the lost object, the lost thing, the lost person determines the amount of effort we put into getting it and how we find it. And have a look for a second at the value that God has placed on the individual people. That he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. It's not that we loved God, but that God loved us so much that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. that God would make that sacrifice for you and for me. A huge sacrifice because he believes, because he values us. And this is what we need to get today. And this is, this is so cool and so important. You and I are one of the ones. We are one of the ones in Luke 15 that Jesus was talking about. At some point, if you've made a decision for Christ, at some point when you realised that moment and made that decision, there was a celebration in heaven for you. For you, heaven stopped. For you, God rejoiced. For you, there was celebration. And if you haven't made that decision yet, for you, there is a celebration pending, awaiting that moment when someone returns. But the reason Jesus is telling the story is is because you are not the only ones that are lost. You and I are not the only ones. There are more ones out there yet. Really quickly, I want to tell you a story about a a very famous part of, I guess, Australian history about a man named Ernest Shackleton. Uh, Ernest Shackleton was an explorer. He wanted to be the first person ever to cross, the, cross Antarctica on foot. And so he sets out with 28 men in 1914 to cross Antarctica. They set out across the Weedle Sea, but after six weeks of floating in pack ice, the Endurance, his boat, which is on the next slide, became stuck. And they were stuck on that ice for 281 days. Eventually, the Endurance got crushed and it sank. And Shackleton knew that if they stayed, they weren't going to get found and they would never be saved. So they set off with their boats and dragged them over kilometres and kilometres of ice in two slides' time and made their way to Elephant Island. That was his party. Next one, dragging a boat across ice. Man, that does not look like fun. 
When they got to Elephant Island, it was an uninhabited island, but after months of being there and eating nothing but seals and penguins, I'm sorry, I know they're cute, to stay alive, he realized they weren't going to stay alive forever. So he took seven men in one of those boats called the James Khan, and they rowed 1,400 kilometers through icy Antarctic volatile seas to make it to South Georgia Island a few weeks later. When they got to South Georgia Island, they had to walk across 40 kilometers of glaciers. And by the time they made it to the whaling station, their clothes were shredded and they had nothing left and were barely alive. But now they had food, now they were safe, and now they were alive. But Shackleton says this in his diary. He says that their joy wasn't so much about the fact they were alive and they were safe. It was because the 21 men left back on that ice float in the ocean could now be saved. He used every cent he had. He begged, he borrowed, he uh, messaged, I was going to say emailed home. He didn't email home. He messaged home. He asked family, friends, his college associates, anybody he could get a loan from for money. He spent every last cent and begged. But eventually he got back to those 21 men who were floating on that ocean. It took three boats, three attempts, but finally he got back to them and all 21 of them were saved. History records that not one man was lost. Despite being stuck there on the ice for four and a half months, nobody was lost. (laughs) I remember hearing this story. I remember Jason telling this story. And I remember my heart breaking. And I remember just thinking that God says, every lost person has value to me. Every one of our friends, every one of our family, everyone that we know has value to him. Every single lost person is valuable to God and it is worth the effort to go and reach them. So often we look around the world and we see so many hurting people, so many helpless, lost people, and we just feel overwhelmed and helpless. And here's, and we don't do anything, but I don't think it's a heart problem. I think, to be honest, the truth is we just don't know where to start. We just don't know the words to say or where to start. We need to notice the ones. That's where we start. We can't change the world for everyone, but you can change the world for someone. I think when we realize that truth, we can't change the world for everyone, but we can change the world for someone. When we realize that, we have a starting place. When something is a priority, we make a plan and we make an investment because it's a priority for us. It's important. I mean, we know in our hearts that we need to reach people across the world. There are hurting people across the world we need to reach. And we know we want to go out and save them. But the truth is some of us need to just go to the end of our street. Or to be very honest with you, in my own life, maybe it's just looking across the table and that's as far as I need to go. Prioritize the ones. He left the 99 to find the one sheep. The woman searched and looked everywhere for the one coin. You and I know at least one person each. How do we do this? How do we do this well? Well, firstly, we, prior- we notice the ones. We look for the ones. Secondly, we prioritize the ones. We make an investment. I asked the question before, and for 50 bucks, most of you would stop traffic, put up with abuse, get yelled at for 50 bucks. Now, if that's your value for that, 
What excuse do we have not to speak out to someone we know about the love of Jesus? Thirdly, we need to prioritize, uh, sorry, we need to notice the ones, we need to prioritize the ones, we need to welcome the ones. You know, there's a very good truth, just as we finish up, Matt. There's a truth about churches, and that's this. You can belong to a community before you believe. And that's something that we, we hold as a truth here at the Lakes. You can be a part of our community before you believe. We want you to feel welcomed here. We want people to know that they are welcomed. Hopefully we want to be a church where we're okay when we smell more smoke on a Sunday, where we see more people wandering around with hangovers, when we hear more swearing in the undercovered area after church. Hopefully not from the pastoral leaders. But I want, to, I, I want to hear these things, not because these things are good, but because these things mean that people feel welcomed in our community, that people can come as they are, that people can come and belong until they are convicted by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will speak to them. Our job is to welcome them. That is the church. We want to celebrate, lastly, celebrate the one. Individual baptisms mean so much to us as a leadership team. Jeff gets excited about them, so excited, because we want to celebrate the ones. Every person has a unique individual story. Everyone is special. Everyone is unique to God. Everyone is celebrated by him. You know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if if he is your Lord and Saviour, then let me encourage you. Notice the ones. Prioritize them. Spend time to welcome them in and celebrate with them because ones are so important to God. We as a collective can write them off sometimes. But to God, the ones are so valuable. And if you don't know him yet, if it's a family thing and that you haven't made that individual decision for yourself, if you're visiting, if you're here because mum and dad forced you to be or bribed you with one cent coins, you are so valuable to him. He loves you abundantly and he will release everything to come and find you because you are of high value to the same God that created the heavens and the earth. That God values you. The team's going to come up. We're going to finish and close in a song. And I think it's important because the song that we, we're about to sing, it's, it speaks into the very thing that we've talked about. It speaks into the lives of the people around us. The lion says, I just want to speak the name of Jesus. And it's a truth that as a church should be a prayer that we speak and a prayer that we say because we should want to speak Jesus into the lives of the people around us. The ones are important. Everybody is unique. Some people are struggling with relational problems. Some people are struggling with health problems. Some people, it's a mental health issue. Some people, it's a financial issue. For some people, it's, it's simply just a crisis of being. For others, it's lacking community. But for everybody that we come across, when we prioritize the ones, we speak the name of Jesus. For he is power. He is healing. He is God. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who loves the ones. You're a God who loves each and every one of us. You're a God who sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice that we might live through him. God, I pray that we would be a church burdened for the ones. 
that we would want to long for them, we would want to welcome them, we would prioritize them, that God, we would celebrate them. Because we know that is the heart of God. And we want to follow that heart. So we worship you, we praise you. May we leave here convicted of how we will acknowledge the ones in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.